Hi, I'm Charlotte Marchant, digital intern based at Bodmin Keep Army Museum. And I'm Joseph Quinn, digital intern at Helston's Museum of Cornish Life. Since January, myself and Charlotte have been sharing many stories with you on BBC Radio Cornwall. Wartime tales, which we have uncovered during the course of our research. These stories reveal the diverse and often complex aspects of life in Cornwall during the Second World War and how these connect to what's happening in people's lives today. Just as we did for our last BBC upload, we're going to share with you some of the stories we have gathered. Stories of people, soldiers and civilians, locals and foreigners, enemies and friends. The stories of Cornwall during the Second World War. And for today's episode, we are focusing on the role of women during the conflict. I'm going to kick things off by discussing the story of Beatrice Frederica Rathbone, later known as Beatrice Wright, Lady Wright, MBE. So Beatrice was an esteemed American-born British politician and former Conservative Member of Parliament for Bodmin during 1941 to 1945. She was certainly a strong female character with a story worth sharing. An American woman in Bodmin. Firstly, I'm just interested to know how Beatrice even ended up in Cornwall in the first instance. Yeah, well, Beatrice was born in Connecticut in America in 1910. She first came to Oxford as an exchange student where she met and eventually married a British man, John Rathbone, in fact, in 1932. John was actually elected as Conservative Member of Parliament for Bodmin in 1935, but was killed during the Battle of Britain in December 1940, tragically aged just 30 years old. Beatrice was subsequently elected unopposed as her husband's successor and sat in the House of Commons for the duration of the Second World War. After remarrying in 1942, Beatrice became the first sitting MP to give birth to a child. That's really amazing. Uh, uh, tell me, what was her role as an MP during the Second World War? Uh, what did she contribute to the political order, the political process? So... Um, in an Imperial War Museum interview conducted in 1991, Beatrice kind of reflects upon her responsibilities and duties of, as Bodmin's wartime MP. So she describes how her appointment as MP for Bodmin and the additional kind of accountabilities that ensued altered her entire life. Her schedule would surely have been stretched to its absolute limits, particularly when you think about her determination to embark upon the sometimes 24-hour chain journey from London to Cornwall wherever possible. It's clear from this kind of resolve and the way Beatrice speaks that her constituents' needs were always held in high regard and taken very seriously. Some of her particular concerns centred around the lack of suitable housing and the lack of pipe water supply in Cornwall. Beatrice was also passionate about childcare and chaired a committee on establishing day nursery schools for after the war. But despite their active presence in the Commons and obvious passion to promote positive change in her constituency, Beatrice was limited by wartime pressures. She makes the point that sitting members of Parliament at the time couldn't be seen as nagging the government. In her own words, they could only possibly nudge. So with so much at stake during her time spent as an MP, there were only allowances for controlled criticism. Well, it sounds like Beatrice cared very much for her work and definitely a very positive female role model for that, those particular times. Um, as a strong female yourself, 
Charlotte. Uh, is there anything about Beatrice's work that you find personally inspiring? Yes, definitely. Um, what I found to be perhaps the most poignant sentiment extracted from Beatrice's interview was her opposition to women's days in Parliament. So Beatrice was not comfortable with these days devoted to subjects related to women, especially equal pay. Although this may initially seem quite surprising and unexpected from a strong female herself, Beatrice wasn't opposed to these issues being up for debate, but instead to the alienation of men from the discussion. As a kind of a young feminist myself, I believe that Beatrice's sentiment is especially relevant today. Surely in our own ongoing shared struggle against gender inequality, we should be welcoming men as our allies. Of course, there's still a long way to go, but I do think we'll get there much sooner together. So, yes, I'd just like to say thank you, Beatrice, for being the strong, independent woman that you were. Yeah, it's a remarkable story, really, really very inspiring. And actually, it's, it's lovely to hear uh, the story of somebody, um, you know, a, a woman in Parliament, who objected to the fact that men were excluded um, or perhaps were maybe largely disinterested in actively engaging in the discussion on women's matters. Um, it was a, that's a very good point that she raised. She certainly seems like she was way ahead of her time. Um, thank you for sharing Beatrice's story, Charlotte. I also have a piece to share with you on the role of women during the Second World War, in particular, the land girls who served in Cornwall. Okay, so who were the land girls? The Land Girls, uh, Charlotte, otherwise known as the Women's Land Army, was a vitally important service that we inherited from the First World War. In 1939, as war was looming, the Land Army was actually reactivated throughout the country. Uh, women from all over the UK volunteered to serve in the Land Army. They were drawn from all social backgrounds. They came from cities and the countryside or were recruited locally by regional branches. By December 1941, conscription had been introduced for women throughout the country, and the WLA also began conscripting women into its ranks. In many ways, the service in this organization was comparable to that in any women's branch of the armed forces. And by 1944, the WLA had peaked at 80,000 members throughout the UK. Their purpose was to provide much needed labor for the agricultural sector and to farm the land in the place of male laborers, many of whom were being called up to fight. They sound like they had a very important role um, to play in the country at the time. Yes, they did. Um, the land army were critically important, Charlotte, because 70% of this country's food was imported. And with U-boat attacks happening on British convoys in the North Atlantic, sinking shipping that was bringing vital food supplies to the country, uh, we needed to cultivate the land as intensively as possible and to grow our own food in order to survive. Everyone was required to participate and the Dig for Victory program, which was rolled out in October 1939, encouraged everyone to grow their own vegetables and potatoes in their gardens, in local allotments and even in nearby parks. However, it wasn't enough. The land army was pivotal in the mass production of food in rural Britain helping farmers to produce the maximum yield in order to keep the country fed. And they were highly successful in their mission. By the end of the war, 83% of available food was homegrown in the country. And most of this was produced through the hard efforts of Britain's land girls. 
So how was the land army organised in Cornwall? Um, yeah, well, in Cornwall had its own land army branch. It was headquartered at Truro and was officially known as the Cornwall County Committee of the Women's Land Army and was responsible for organising the recruitment and training of land girls. Land girls were accommodated in special hostels for WLA members only, and the famous examples were in Penzance, Hale, and also in Helston. Each one had strict rules such as cleanliness, attentiveness to dress code, proper maintenance of equipment, and most importantly, no male visitors, especially after lights out. So no misbehaviour allowed then. How many land girls served in Cornwall, Joseph? In total, over 1,500 land girls were recruited by the WLA in Cornwall, and most served until after the war had ended in 1946. Was there anybody that kind of came from outside of Cornwall? Yes, indeed, there were. One example is Mildred Mickey Bowman, who was called up for war work at the age of 17. And she was a trained seamstress from Leeds. And she observed that there was no shortage of employment in her hometown. But rather than making tanks in the local tank factory, she was more attracted to the idea of working on the land. So after she joined the WLA, Mickey received her uniform and a rail ticket along with her papers, which said Penzance. Now, together with her father, she took out a map of Britain and searched for the town. Neither of them had ever heard of Penzance before. And when they actually located it on the map, her father commented, well, if they'd sent you any further, they would have dropped you off the end. <laughs> so a posting in Cornwall was definitely an adventure for some people. It was, but it also provided some very important practical skills and experience for these girls. I mean, these girls learned to do everything that would, uh, in terms of agricultural labour, that would baffle most people today. And they learned by being thrown in at the deep end. And I'll give you an example of what Mickey recalled from her time in the land army. She said most of the land girls, those who lived in the hostels, had to be prepared to do anything that was asked of them, any land work. If you couldn't milk a cow when you went to a farm, they very quickly taught you how to do that. And you fed chickens, cleaned out the cow sheds, planted cabbages and broccoli. And she said, the thing I liked most about the farms was when they sent you out to bring in the cows, you used to stand at the end of the field and shout, cow, cow, cow. And then they'd come trampling across and then you'd walk down the road with a stick in your hand. And she, she used to think to herself, this is magic. <laughs> I especially liked your uh, rendition of cow, cow, cow. <laughs> Sounds like Mickey enjoyed it. Yeah, I think she did. She loved it from what I could tell. Uh, and, and this is important because these women, like so many countless multitudes of women who served the war effort in this country, they were unsung heroes. And like Beatrice Rathbone, they stepped up when they were needed the most, in spite of their own personal circumstances, being bereaved, separated from their families and loved ones, having to do the best work they could in tough conditions. And without them, I really think this country would have struggled in the war. Well, thank you, Joseph. Lovely to hear a male giving women credit for a change. Well, in this case, Charlotte, the credit is long overdue. Indeed. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode, everybody, and do tune in for our final episode next time. Bye for now. Bye.